On September 7, 1812, Napoleon Bonaparte led his French army in the Battle of Borodino. You may or may not have heard of that, but his goal was to invade Russia. And he had 95,000 troops at his disposal. And Napoleon did indeed capture Moscow, but, but Russia was fighting a very different kind of war, a war of attrition. The French had trouble bringing in supplies, and French soldiers easily succumbed to the cold and the starvation and the infectious diseases. Eventually, infighting broke out, and Napoleon decided to return to France. And of the 95,000 troops that departed from France at the beginning of the war, only 23,000 returned. And eventually, it cost Napoleon his role as leader of France. See, Napoleon won the battle, but he lost the war. And the reason I tell you that story is because there's a parallel in your life. Because there's a war that is going on in your life, and it's made up of a number of daily battles. And we've learned about this in the book of Romans. We've been traveling through the book of Romans, and we're in Romans chapter 8. If you want to go ahead and begin turning to Romans chapter 8. And in our journey through the book of Romans, we've discovered some things about this battle that takes place. We've discovered that we have an outer flesh of our mortal bodies, and this is where the power of sin in our lives dwells. It dwells in the outer flesh of our mortal bodies. This is why we do bad things. This is why we get sick. This is why we die. But we also have an, what I call an inner person. It is the spirit our human spirit. And it was, before we met Christ, it was spiritually dead. But then it became alive and we got saved. And our spirit is where the Holy Spirit dwells. And it is this inner person, it is our spirit that is the source of the good within us. And so our inner person and our outer flesh are at odds with one another, and we will experience this struggle until the day our mortal bodies die. And so the sin that resides in our mortal bodies, it may win some battles someday. It might win some battles, but it's going to lose the war. This is a war of attrition that our mortal body will lose. Our spirits, on the other hand, even after this mortal body dies, our spirits will live on in the very presence of God, and they, our spirits, will await for that incredible day when they will be reunited with new, immortal, glorified bodies on the day of our resurrection. Now, not only will we be made new as believers, but in fact, all of creation will be made new. And so in the meantime, this creation we found out in Romans 8, this creation groans and waits for that day when the sons and daughters of God will be revealed to all of the universe. Until then, we wait, and we struggle, 
And just like creation, we groan within ourselves in anticipation, waiting eagerly for that day when that promised adoption that God has for us becomes a very real thing. And so as we wait, we persevere to the very end. And we keep our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't cast our faith aside just because we go through some difficulties and we face some struggles. And just because we grow tired of this fight against the outer flesh of our mortal bodies, we don't cast our our faith aside because we know that God will keep His promises. And then in the end, we will have victory. And the victory that we experience, it will be a victory over the weakness that you have right now. It'll be a victory over that. That weakness will be no more. So take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Romans chapter 8. We're only going to look at two verses, verses 26 and 27, and uh, and I'm going to uh, be very candid with you. I have for two weeks now had every intention of preaching all the way through verse 30 of Romans chapter 8. And I keep getting tied up. And so my initial intent was to preach from Romans chapter 8 verse 18 all the way through verse 30 in one sermon. And I made it through verse 25. And so as I prepared this uh, message this week, I thought, okay, I got it. Romans 8, 26 through 30. That's not very long. But we're only going to cover two verses because there's so much here that we need to address. And so come back next week and see if I can actually make it all the way to verse 30, okay? I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. In Romans chapter 8, we'll just read two verses, verses 26 and 27. I'll read aloud from the New American Standard Bible. And uh, you can read along on the screens behind me or in your Bible in your hand. Scripture says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Father, I pray that you would encourage us today to yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, typically, and it may be more of a stereotypical thing, uh, Baptists don't give give a whole lot of attention to the Holy Spirit. You know, we sometimes I think we look around at our uh, Christian brothers of other denominations and flavors, and uh, we we get a little bit scared because some people that emphasize the Spirit of God get a little bit wild and crazy, they're swinging from the chandeliers, or they're doing something strange, you know. And so uh, we sometimes, in reaction against being labeled that way, we uh, have a tendency perhaps to neglect what God's Word says about the Holy Spirit. Um, But this verse, these two verses, 
teach some very important truths about the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people have asked me, you know, what does the Holy Spirit actually do in my life? And that's a great question. And it's a question that's not left unanswered. Scripture tells us what He does. In verse 26, we discover that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Read that again. It says, in the same way, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, The Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We're going to look at this verse very carefully. Just as we persevere and we wait for that glorious day when this mortal body is resurrected with a brand new immortal body, a glorified body, just uh, like the kind of body that Jesus had when He was resurrected from the grave, Uh, We're we're looking for that day, and we anticipate that day, when we no longer have to struggle against sin. We no longer get sick. And we anticipate that wonderful day, but in the meantime, there's this fight and this struggle we go through. The Holy Spirit is here for us right now. Right now. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He dwells in your spirit. And He is, on a daily basis, leading your spirit, your inner person, if you'll let Him. If you'll let Him. You might wonder, what do you mean if I'll let Him? Isn't God stronger and bigger than than I am? Absolutely. But God made you to be a free person. And you have the freedom, if you so choose, to do your own thing. Even as a believer, you have the freedom every day when you wake up to give in to your sin, to lose those daily battles with the outer flesh of your mortal body. You have the freedom to do that. But if you'll yield yourself to the Holy Spirit and do as He wishes, then He will lead your spirit. He dwells in you. And and the struggles that you face, they're not insignificant. The struggles you face are very real, and that's why the Holy Spirit constantly prays for you. You see, you face spiritual struggles that, for example, want to destroy the most important relationships you have. You face spiritual struggles that want to destroy your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your pastor in your church, your relationship with the people at your workplace or your school. Sin comes in and attacks the relationships that mean the very most to you. You also face spiritual struggles within yourself that wound you. And not only attack those relationships outside of you, but they wound you. And whether it's something that's someone else has done to you that causes you to be wounded and hurt, or whether it's uh, something beyond your control that's just happened to you, or or whether it's a self-inflicted wound, before you know it, you can wake up and find yourself spiritually damaged and really not even know that you're spiritually damaged. You're just off. Something's just wrong. You just are cranky upset and nothing's right 
or you're deeply wounded beyond that. And you might even know that something is wrong, that something is off, but you don't know how to make it right. And you want to be fixed, but you can't find the right tools to fix yourself. Not only do you face these types of spiritual struggles, but you face struggles with your physical body as well. Struggles with health. And even if you are a very healthy person, it will not last forever. There's coming a day, whether by disease or by accident, when this mortal body of yours will be hurt. And you will be in pain. The struggles that you are either now facing or will face with this mortal body, they're significant. And it can absolutely change your life for the worse. It can happen. But what Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, is that you're not alone. God dwells within you. He lives in your spirit. And He helps your weakness. And whatever the cause of the weakness that may exist in your life, the Holy Spirit is there to help. And you might wonder, okay, but how? How does the Holy Spirit actually help me? Well, as this verse says, sometimes we don't know how to pray as we should. I mean, have you ever um, known exactly what to pray? Let's flip that around for a minute. Have you ever known exactly what to pray? And I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a situation uh, earlier this week where someone told me some uh, uh, disturbing news and it, it discouraged me. It wasn't disparaging in any way. Uh, it wasn't an attack, but it was just some bad news that I really didn't want to hear. And it, and it bugged me for a little bit, but the next morning I woke up and, and I, knew, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I knew exactly how to pray. And I gave it to the Lord. I basically said, God, I can't do anything about this. So I'm... I'm trusting you with this problem. I give this problem to you. It's it's your burden, Father, not mine. Because I can't do anything about it. And so I turn this problem over to you, God. Once I released it to God, I was much better. And I wasn't carrying that burden anymore. And And I told the Lord, in fact, you know, I'll do anything you want. If there's something that I need to do, but but I give this problem to you. And so it just so happened that I I knew exactly how to pray in that instance. But there have been other times, and perhaps you've uh, been here with me, that that you feel like, I don't really know how to pray. I mean, have you ever experienced an inability to pray right? I mean, you just just don't have the words. Maybe you're you're too angry, or you're too sad, or you're you're too upset, uh, too troubled to pray. And, And if God himself walked up to you and said, what can I do for you? You wouldn't know what to say. There's a, you, you just cannot get the words right and pray. Or maybe, maybe it's not exactly like that, but maybe uh, this is sort of your situation. Maybe you're sort of new at praying. Uh, you're not real experienced at it. And, and let's, let's be honest. You know, that when you first start to learn to pray, it's a little bit awkward, isn't it? To, to talk to someone that you can't see. Is he really here? Am I just sort of talking to myself? Am I praying to the ceiling? And so it can be a little bit strange, a little bit awkward. I mean, how do you begin? What do you call God? If you've never really prayed to God before, sir, 
Mr. God? Hey there. What do you call him? And, and then what do you say? When you begin to pray. Um, hey God, uh, having a rough time down here. Just thought you might like to know. By the way, if that's your prayer, that's an awesome prayer. God loves that prayer. He loves that prayer. Because prayer really is doing like what the Bible says happened between Moses and God. It says Moses talked to God like a man talked to his friend. So I would encourage you, if you're sort of new at praying, tell God what happened yesterday. Well, doesn't God know what happened yesterday? Well, sure he does. Well, why do I need to pray about what happened yesterday? Why do I need to tell God what happened yesterday if he already knows? Well, it's sort of like this. Remember back when you were in school and you got in trouble at school? I know, I'm probably the only one. Remember when you got in trouble at school and you went home and you didn't know, but the school already called your mom and dad. They know. Kids, they always know. Anyway, school called your mom and dad already, and your mom says, what happened today? Did anything go on today special? Why do you need to talk about it? Mom already knows, right? You talk to God about things going on in your life, even though he already knows, not for his benefit, but for yours. Because when you tell mom how you got in trouble, when she gets that out of you, something good happens in here. You get some healing in here. You get some instruction in here. Something else might happen back here. But something good happens when you talk to your parents. Something good happens to you when you talk to God. So don't hold back. Tell God what's going on in your life. Tell God what's coming up in your day, at least that you anticipate. Just learn to begin to talk to God. But there have been times where all of us have had trouble talking with God. We don't know exactly what to say. You need to understand this. The Holy Spirit prays for you. Even when you don't know the words, the Holy Spirit prays for you. Look at verse 26 again. It says, For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's two words there that are very important. It says, The Spirit Himself. The Spirit Himself. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit, this is not Star Wars. May the force be with you. No. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a human, but the Holy Spirit is a person. A human has a physical body. And all humans are persons, but not all persons are humans. The Holy Spirit is a person. This means, when I say that he's a person, I mean that he has all the characteristics 
of personhood. The Holy Spirit has intelligence. The Holy Spirit has a volition or will. The Holy Spirit can make decisions. The Holy Spirit has personality. He has emotions. He can be grieved. The Holy Spirit has power. He has ability. He has all the attributes of a person. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we use the personal pronoun, he. Don't say it when you talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Gravity is a force. Gravity is an it. But the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a he. And verse 26 says that the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us. And you might wonder, why, why does he intercede for me? What's that mean? It means he prays. Intercession, interceding means to pray. He prays for us. And you might wonder, well, who's the Holy Spirit praying to? I mean, isn't the Holy Spirit God? Why does the Holy Spirit have to pray? Well, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit does pray for you, and he prays to God the Father. Just as you might remember many times when Jesus was on this earth, Jesus prayed to God the Father. God the Son prayed to God the Father. You see, the Holy Spirit does not lack any authority, for he's God. But the Holy Spirit respects the authority of the Father. And the Father sent the Son into the world. And Scripture says that the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit into the world. And so each person in the Godhead, or we say the Trinity, has a role to play. And this dynamic of... Uh, and it's, uh, On one level, it's impossible to understand the inner workings of the Trinity in all of its depth. But we can understand something parallel to it, analogous to it. And, it, and it, there's some parallels to a husband and a wife, although there are some obvious differences well, as well. But in marriage, a husband and a wife are of the same worth. They are equal in the eyes of God. However, the husband and the wife have complementary roles. Scripture says in Ephesians 5 that the husband is to love his wife just like Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do? Christ gave up his life for the church. Men, your calling is to love your wife to that degree. To give up your life for your wife. And I know you're thinking, yeah, okay, if I ever see the big old bad boogeyman come to my house, I'm going to be willing to give up my life for my wife. It's not just that. It is your job, men, every day to yield your desires for your wife's desires. It is to give up your life, to die to the things that you want so that you can provide everything that your wife needs. And everything that your wife needs is more than just provision of food and shelter. But you are providing her a spiritual environment where she can grow to become the person that God made her to be. And if you are not injecting that relationship with the sacrificial love each and every day, your wife will never become what God intended, and God will hold you responsible, men. 
you must be willing to love your wife every day, just like Christ loved the church. Ladies, your job is not fun, but it's easier. Ladies, your role as a wife is to submit yourself to your husband. In Ephesians 5, same passage says, just as the church submits to Christ. You never see a flock of sheep telling the shepherd what to do. It would be ridiculous. Just as the church, God's flock, submits to Christ, the shepherd of the flock, that is how a wife should submit to her husband. It's not always fun because your husband doesn't always deserve it. Because he's not always loving you like Christ loved the church. Men and women are equal in the eyes of God. We have different roles to play. In a similar way, but not exactly parallel, but in a similar way, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they are all God. They have different roles. It was not the Father that died on the cross, but that was the Son. And it is the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And so, somehow, in the mysterious and perfect harmony of the Godhead, this, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, He intercedes for you to the Father constantly. He is praying to the Father that you would be helped in the weakness of your flesh. And this ought to be an incredible encouragement to us because it's not like when you got saved, God's up in heaven and says, says to you, good job, see you later when you die, good luck, you're on your own. God never says that. Instead, God says, I'm going to be with you every day, helping you. Live for me, helping you overcoming your weak to overcome your weaknesses. And so the Father gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit dwells in us, and the Spirit constantly prays that the weakness of our outer flesh, the outer flesh of our mortal body, will not shipwreck our faith. Verse 26 continues. It says that the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What in the world is this talking about? Is this talking about speaking in tongues? No. This passage doesn't talk about speaking in tongues. It's the Holy Spirit's praying, not, not, not you. This passage doesn't talk about tongues at all. This is the Spirit of God groaning with inarticulate and incomprehensible noises in the spiritual realm, if noises is even the right word to use. God's Spirit is pleading for you. He is emotionally invested and involved in you. When things are going well for you, He is cheering you on more than your parents could ever cheer you on. He rejoices for you. And when things are going wrong, he is heartbroken for you. 
more than your closest friend would be heartbroken. He weeps for you. He is by your side at all times. He is your closest friend. He is your counselor. It might be hard for us to imagine the Spirit of God praying for you with this type of emotion, but I want you to consider Gethsemane. But Jesus was in that garden praying to the degree that that sweat was dripping off of him like blood. Completely invested emotionally praying to his heavenly Father. Scripture says in Luke 22 verse 44, And being in agony, Jesus was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Listen, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is somehow overcome by emotions. But I do believe that if the Son of God felt deep emotions as He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's a reason to believe that the Spirit of God prays for us with emotion as well. He prays with groanings too deep for words. And you might wonder, okay, if the Holy Spirit is praying with groanings, too deep for words, and how does God the Father understand what the Spirit is praying about? Verse 27 tells us. It says, And he who searches the hearts, that's God the Father, he who searches the hearts, he knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he, that's the Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God the Father has all knowledge. He searches your heart. He has complete access to every part of your heart. God knows your heart better than you know your heart. Scripture says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The answer to that question is only God. Only God can understand the heart. He's the only one who can understand your heart, and He does understand your heart. God knows your heart even if you are incapable of articulating your prayers to Him. If you've been wounded by someone else, or by yourself, or by just the circumstances of life, God knows what's going on in your heart. Even if you are so broken, you can't even speak. God knows. And the Holy Spirit prays for you in your moment of weakness. God is at work in you. Even if all you can feel is pain. God searches your heart. And as the Spirit of God intercedes to Him on behalf of us, God the Father knows. He knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows the desires of the Spirit. God knows that the Holy Spirit is praying for us in harmony with His own will. God will accomplish what He began in you. Even if you're having a bad, bad day. God's still at work. He is still at work in you. You know, it is amazing for me to see what God's Word says about the relationship between the different persons of the Godhead. 
between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Somehow they work perfectly together and somehow we're the beneficiaries. And so the Spirit prays to the Father on our behalf, helping with our weaknesses. The question is, where do I fit in? What am I supposed to do? I mean, am I just some type of pawn in a spiritual game that's going on? No. You're not a pawn in some game because God's plan for humanity is not a game. And there is a part that we can actively play. Here's your role. Every day, yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. That's your role. The Christian life is not really that difficult. If you'll remember to do that. Die to yourself. Yield yourself. Ask the Spirit of God to fill you. These are all different ways of saying the same thing. That your life is focused on Christ and doing the will of Him who dwells within you.